Praise the Lord, everybody. So good to be with all of you once again. I want to take you right into the Word of God and turn your attention to the book of Matthew, chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 7 and 8 and verses 14 through 20. I give honor to East Wind Pentecostal Church and to your pastor and his family, Brother and Sister Myers. Thank you so much again for the invitation to be with one of the greatest churches in all the world. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus begins speaking in verse 8 to his disciples and he tells them, he says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So already in verse number 7, he's told them to do three things. He's told them to go, he's told them to preach, and he told them to tell the world that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then, after the direction to preach, he tells them in verse 8, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. I love this word of direction from the Lord because he tells them to go and to preach But then he says, there's going to be a demonstration of power. There's going to be a demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And I believe that's where we are right now. That if we will step out and go by faith, declaring the word of the Lord, that his miracles will follow us. In verse 14, he says... And whosoever shall not receive you or hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. I send you forth. As sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I'm not going to read the next few verses just yet, but tonight I want to talk to you on the subject We are still here. Would you say that with me right now? We are still here. Amen. Can we just take a moment and pray right now? Would you lift up your hands and would you close your eyes? And as you do, would you open your heart of faith and expectation to receive the word of the Lord and to respond to it tonight in Jesus name? Lord, we love you. We praise you. For you alone are great and greatly to be praised. We enter your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. Tonight I ask you to speak. Don't let it just be the voice of a preacher, but let it be the word of God tonight. And we as the church body, the body of Jesus Christ, shall receive what thus saith the Lord. We shall respond to it with faith and demonstration in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Come on, one more time. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are sitting, you may be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jesus tells them in Matthew 10 and verse 16, I send you forth, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. The word sin there, I'm not the first one who's discovered this revelation, but 
When he says this, I send you. The word in the Greek, in the, the word in the original language for send is apostelos, which is, of course, where we get the word apostolic. Apostolic means the sent ones. So tonight I tell you that you are Pentecostal because you come to church, but you are apostolic because you go to the world with the power of the church. Amen. But not only that, we have to realize that when God sends forth the church to see a demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost, He always puts the church seemingly into a storm, into the face of an opposition. A preacher was just talking to me a couple of days ago and he said, God couldn't have divided the Red Sea if there had been no Red Sea. And I think about that because you find that story in Exodus 13 when God finally delivers the nation of Israel out of the bondage they had been in for over 400 years in Egypt. They're finally free from Egypt. And the scripture says that he was to take them to the promised land. However, he did not take them the shortcut route. He did not take them the the, the direct route. They say the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And God said, I'm not taking you in a straight line. He said, I'm going to take you in a roundabout way. And he brought them to the brink of a dead end, the Red Sea, enclosed on either side by mountains, facing a Red Sea, an ocean, facing a dead end. And now all of a sudden hearing the footfall of an Egyptian army coming behind them. It was God who led them into this situation of pressure and opposition. But it was also God that had a plan behind the scenes of an opportunity of unprecedented proportions that this world had never seen before. First of all, that situation of that pressure, that resistance and that opposition was the very first time that Moses stepped into the fulfillment of his calling. His calling was to be a preacher. His calling was to speak. And yet Moses would not speak. God had to give him his brother Aaron to speak for him because Moses was too insecure, intimidated, and afraid to speak. So he would not speak. Throughout the ten plagues, Moses never spoke. It was always Aaron that spoke. But finally pressured by the resistance and opposition of the Red Sea, the the mountains on either side, and the army coming behind them, For the first time, Moses steps into his calling and begins to prophesy that today you shall see the hand of the Lord deliver you from your enemy. He said, the enemy that you see today, you shall see no more again forever. And when he began to step into his calling, the Lord's power went forth and divided the ocean and divided the Red Sea, providing a miracle again of unprecedented proportion, dividing a pathway of the miraculous that nobody knew was there, delivering them from Egypt once again. But it was that situation of pressure and opposition that brought about Moses' Of faith in Moses to finally step into his calling. 
And when God begins to speak to his disciples, when Jesus begins to preach and tell them the direction that they would go, he said, I'm going to send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm not sending you as sheep in the midst of sheep like we always do on Sundays. He said, I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. But proceeding this direction, he tells them you're going to go and preach and you're going to see the miraculous take place. You're going to see uh, the healed sick and you're going to see the lepers cleansed. Or I said the healed sick. You're going to see the sick healed and the lepers cleansed. And you're going to see the dead raised back to life. And you're going to see demon possessed people delivered of this demon possession. He's talking about the miraculous of the end times. But the miraculous of the end times is in the face of opposition in the midst of wolves. Amen. It's very difficult for us to recognize the opportunity in the face of opposition unless we walk by the Spirit. Jesus says in verse 17 to beware of men because he says they will deliver you up. And what that word means is to be arrested. He says they will arrest you and bring you to the councils and they will scourge you in the synagogues and you will be brought before the governors and the kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But verse 18 in the New Living Translation says it like this. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. He says this opposition will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. Let me give you this revelation very quickly. Jesus says, I'm sending you to a place of resistance and opposition. And there you will go, you will preach, you will heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and cast out devils. But you will be arrested. And when you are arrested and when you are beaten and when you are brought before the councils, that is your opportunity to tell them about me. Here's the revelation. When else would you have had a platform and an audience with those people who are opposing you Had they not arrested you? What an amazing perspective of understanding and a profound revelation of the opportunity that Jesus is trying to give the church. When he's saying, look, I'm going to let the world persecute you and let them arrest you and hold you captive. So that while they're holding you captive, you are holding a platform with them to minister to them. You would think that Jesus would say, I don't want you to minister to them. If they're beating and persecuting and arresting you, they don't deserve the truth. No, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, while they are arresting you, that's your opportunity to tell them about me. The greatest example, and we have several, but the greatest example we have of this, of somebody taking The opportunity in the face of opposition is Jesus Christ, who while being hung on a cross, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, already his back being torn to part and to pieces at the whipping post, being scourged and beaten by the Roman soldiers. And now he's hanging on a cross with a crown of thorns in his head, staring into the eyes of a Roman soldier who has put him on this cross. 
And it's as if Jesus says, this is my one opportunity to save this soul. And Jesus begins to pray. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. (laughs) There's no other scripture recorded where Jesus had an audience with a Roman soldier except for this moment when he was arrested, when he was being persecuted and crucified on a cross and Jesus didn't spit in his face. Jesus seized the opportunity to pray for the one who was beating him father save them forgive them for they know not what they do i just speak this word of faith to east wind tonight And please don't take this as a derogatory statement. Please take this as a word of faith. I feel the word of faith tonight for your church and for this body of believers is that it is time for us to be apostolic. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's time, yes, that we go back to church. But it's time that we be sent forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's time we go to church on Sunday and say, Pastor, preach to me so I can have something to preach to somebody else. Pastor, encourage me so I I can have something to encourage somebody else with. God, fill me up with the power of the Holy Ghost so that I can turn around and go back into my world and deliver a soul out of the hands of hell. It's time that the apostles, it's time that the apostolic church rise up to the occasion of the opportunity in the face of opposition. Hallelujah. You find... In 1 Corinthians 15 and chapter 16, when Paul, of course, is writing this letter to the church of Corinth, and he's telling them about the resurrection in chapter 15. He says there is going to be a resurrection. He said, let me tell you why. He said, there will be a resurrection. There's going to be a day where the dead are resurrected and the church is caught up in the air to meet Jesus in the air. And he tells them, if, if this weren't true, if the resurrection were not true, then what I'm doing for God in Ephesus would not be worth it. He tells them what he's doing in Ephesus. He says, I'm facing my death every day. In Ephesus, I'm facing my death every day in Ephesus. This is what an apostle looks like. I ask you tonight, as I ask myself the same question, when have I ever had that testimony? That, hey, I am facing my death every single day because I'm trying to be a sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm trying to be sent forth with the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. I'm facing my death every day because I'm just trying to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, if the resurrection were not true, then what I'm doing in Ephesus wouldn't be worth it. He said, I'm, I'm fighting wild beasts in reference to the people of Ephesus. But yet he knew there was a great church to be made. There was a great church to be built in Ephesus. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, I want to come to see you. I want to come see you in Corinth. I can't wait to have that. He talks about an extended revival. I don't just want to come for a few days. I want to come stay for a long time. That's how I feel about East Wind. I can't wait to come back to East Wind and I don't want to just come for a Sunday. I want to come for an extended period of time. He was telling them, I can't wait to to stay for an extended period of time and, and see the power of God fall and see people filled with His Spirit and deliver of sins and, and, and receive salvation and direction for their family healed of their sickness I can't wait to come to you and I cannot wait to come I can't wait to see it and he says but I must tarry here in Ephesus until Pentecost I have to stay here a little longer in Ephesus he says it like this because there is a wide open door of a great work here Although many people oppose me. My God. What a spiritual perspective that this apostle Paul had. He said, yes, I'm facing my death every day. Yes, I'm fighting wild beasts of Ephesus every day. But I have to stay because there is a wide open door of opportunity, of a great work, even though many people are opposing me. Hallelujah. I pray that this mind of God gets in every one of you tonight. I pray that this divine perspective gets inside every one of you tonight. That you'll no longer retreat from the resistance. That you'll no longer run from your fear. That you'll no longer fall back from the opposition. But you will see the disguise. You will see the blessing in disguise. The opportunity in disguise. You will see the debauchery of this world and the sin of this world as an opportunity for somebody to receive the power of the Holy Ghost. I've been here in Oregon now for some time when the Lord directed us here back in March at the beginning of the shutdown. My wife is from here. Her dad pastors here. I'm preaching from their church right now. We packed our bags for one week, just one week. We thought we would be here just to visit the family. And after one week, God said, stay here. All right. We stayed here and we haven't left. We've tried leaving a couple different times. On one occasion, we left with our truck and trailer packed up. And literally the moment we left uh, the state border, we crossed the state boundary uh, into California. It was like the storm showed up and, and, and the whale swallowed us up. And we barely made it halfway from here to our home in Texas when we had four blowout tires. Four blowout tires. Had to buy five brand new tires just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And we started thinking, is God trying to speak to us? I mean, everything that can go wrong is going wrong. So we stopped and we prayed and we just felt peace to stay there that night in the Phoenix area. So we stayed there and we fasted and prayed. And the next day, God gave us direction and said, go back to Oregon. He said, there is there is revival in Oregon. Go back to Oregon. There is revival in Oregon. I said, God. My schedule says to go to Louisiana and then I'm supposed to go to Florida and then I'm supposed to go to Oklahoma and then I'm supposed to go to Ohio. And my schedule says this, God, and and and, and, and our, that's our income. That's our financial livelihood. And, and that's where we're supposed to go. And we have a home, a nice home in Austin, Texas. And we've got this little trailer in Oregon. And why would we go back to Oregon? Because in Oregon, there's riots and there's all these uh, chaotic, violent protests.
protests and there's all this chaos going on. They're burning buildings down. Bombs are going off just not far from where I'm staying right now. There's homicides and murders and there's all sorts of chaos and confusion. But God said, go back to Oregon. We don't have a schedule in Oregon. We don't have anybody calling us to preach in Oregon. We don't have an income in Oregon. God said, go back to Oregon. There's revival in Oregon. The next morning, a minister called me that that didn't even know where we were, didn't know what we were doing. And we had made the decision to go back to Oregon. He called me and he said, I I felt a word from the Lord to tell you that your decision to go back from where you're coming from was a test and you have passed the test. So we drove back to Oregon and and, uh, the first service we had was when was in a couple of church plants at Southern Oregon as we crossed the border. And when we crossed the border, the Holy Ghost filled up our truck and we began to speak in tongues knowing that we were in the will of God. And, and we preached that Sunday and, and then we stayed again uh, for another Sunday service in another, in another town. And, and I'm just being honest with you, on that Sunday morning service, we had a dead, dry, boring service. You've ever been a part of one, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it was like you couldn't find God with anything, you know. There was nothing going on that service. I preached my guts out. I preached on the power of the name of Jesus. And nobody was healed, saved, delivered, filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, it was just dead. And I sat on the front pew that Sunday morning and I said, God, this is not why you brought me back to Oregon. You said there was revival in Oregon. This is not revival. I said, God, what do you want me to do? You told me there was revival here. And the Lord spoke to me and said, what you are looking for, you will not find here inside the church. But you will find it there in the world. A sheep in the midst of wolves. And when I look at what's going on in the world of Oregon, again, all the riots and the murders and the bombs and the violence and the chaos and confusion, I'm thinking, what are you talking? There's no revival out there. There's riots out there. And then I see this guy, and I'm just being candid for a moment. I see this guy on social media who's not UPC. I don't even know what he believes other than he believes in Jesus Christ. I don't know what doctrine. I don't know all that stuff. I'm just telling you something. I see on social media that he's doing these outdoor services around the nation. And he was in California with thousands of people on the beach. And they're worshiping, singing the same Christian songs that you sing in your church. And and, and they would lay hands on people for healing and all sorts of stuff. and, And. And then he makes the statement. He said, our next stop is Portland. Portland, Oregon. Because there is great hunger in Portland, Oregon. While other ministers, while many religions and many people are resigning and leaving Oregon because they're seeing the riots and the chaos going on. This guy who doesn't even live here, who may not even have the full truth of what we know. He says, I'm headed to Portland because there is hunger in Portland. There is revival in Portland. There's an opportunity in Portland. I was convicted to say the least. I happened to show up to the service that they had in downtown Portland in the midst of all the chaos and riots. In fact, there were rioters and protesters that showed up to that worship service trying to shut down the worship service that night. I was there and they brought megaphones and tried to shut it all down, chanting and, and, and throwing things. and viol- It was chaos. But there was thousands of Christian believers worshiping Jesus Christ. Uh, and you could not even hear the protest uh, of the rioters trying to shut down the move of God. It looked like they were just standing there 
just mimicking uh, or, or just uh, lip syncing, as it were. It just looked like they were just moving their mouth because you could not hear them over the sound of worship and praise. And so they got exhausted and they left. That's what it should be like in our churches. That's what it should be like in our life. I felt like God gave me a revelation that said, See, you don't have to put your focus on the devil. You don't have to fight the devil. If you worship me loud enough, it will silence out the attack of opposition. If you lift up your voice of praise loud enough, the church won't even hear the criticism of the enemy. He won't even see the weapon that's been formed against you. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and just lift up a shout of praise unto God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. At that worship service, they baptized. I don't even know how many people they baptized, but they were baptizing people four at a time because there were so many hungry souls in downtown Portland that wanted to be baptized. I don't know how they baptized. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Jesus' name, that's not the point. I don't care if it was Buddhist monks baptizing in the name of Buddha or Muslims baptizing in the name of Allah. The point was, is that while religious people, ministers are resigning because they can't see it, They think that there's no revival left here. The Lord showed me and said, don't let the enemy deceive you and tell you that there's not a hungry soul where I've placed you to be. Hallelujah. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. That's why this isn't in my notes, but in Genesis chapter 26, God tells Isaac, in the middle of a famine, in the middle of opposition, there was only one place you could get food and it was in Egypt. And he says, Isaac, don't you go to Egypt. Go where I tell you to go. And if you'll sow seed where I tell you to sow, I'll bless it. And in Genesis 26, 12, the scripture says that God told him to go to a certain land that was barren. No, no revival, no rain, no produce, no hope. Sow a seed here. Isaac sowed a seed in that land, the scripture says, and reaped a 100-fold harvest in the same Year. Hallelujah. For every one seed Isaac planted where God told him to plant, he reaped 100 times more. Not 10 years later, he said he reaped an exponential revival. Brother Myers, I feel under the unction of the Holy Ghost, this is a word for East Wind right now. This isn't in my notes. I'm following God right now. He said he reaped a 100-fold harvest that same year. You see, what a lot of our people are doing is they're looking for a different time and they're looking for a different place. They think, well, we can't have revival here, so let's go to a different place. Or they're saying, we can't have revival now because of COVID and riots and racism and all this stuff. So let's wait for a different time. God says, if you'll obey my word, I'll give you an exponential harvest that same time year continuing the theme of the apostle paul him and silas joined together and they're doing evangelism and ministry all over the world and they wanted to go to asia and the holy spirit said no don't go to asia then he said okay let's go to bithynia and the holy spirit said no don't go to bithynia so paul begins to pray and in a in a dream god shows him go to macedonia 
They begin to set out to go to the province of Macedonia and they find themselves in the city of Philippi. And that's where God wanted them to be. Because there was a great work to be found in Philippi. There was no church. There was no apostolic Christian Pentecostal church there yet. But there was a great work to be made in Philippi. So Paul and Silas made their abode in Philippi. And they found a little, a little prayer meeting to go to every morning. And they attended this prayer meeting. And they ended up baptizing an entire family there. And, and they started going to this prayer meeting every single day. And a demonic uh, spirit, a, a demon-possessed lady began to follow them every single day. And one day Paul got so fed up with it, he cast the devil out. And the men who were making money off of this devil, off of this demon-possessed woman, arrested arrested Paul and Silas. See, when I say Acts chapter 16 and Paul and Silas, you think of that jailhouse break and that jailhouse rock at midnight. But my question is, is who put Paul and Silas in prison? It was God. God told them to go to Philippi, knowing that they would be arrested because there was a jailer in Philippi that needed to be saved. There were prisoners in Philippi that needed to be saved. So the scripture says that they beat Paul and Silas with a rod. And in verse 23 of Acts 16 it says, They laid many stripes on them. And they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Don't neglect the influence that you have on those who are trapped in sin right now. Verse 26 says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Watch this revelation that the Lord gave me. They were praying and singing at midnight after being beaten and scourged. The scripture says that God sent forth an earthquake and everybody's chains were loosed and the doors were open. They were free. They were free to go. And the jailer of the prison, the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors opening, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Because that's what prisoners do when doors are open. Not this time. Supposing that the prisoners had fled. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. We are still here. We are still here, Mr. Jailer. Hallelujah. You see, an apostle, somebody that's apostolic, that's been sent forth as a sheep in the midst of wolves, uh, understands uh, the opportunity in the midst of opposition. And when God opened their doors, I think it was a test. God's saying, you can run or you can stay here. And Paul and Silas said, we are still here. Verse 29, the jailer called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, What must I do to be saved? 
And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And the jailer took them to to his house that same hour, that night, and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God. With all his house. The jailer who arrested them. The jailer who beat them. Was now the jailer asking what do I need to do to be saved. Now was the jailer washing their wounds. Mending their wounds. Washing the stripes that he had put on their back. Feeding them with his own food. I say to you I prophesy in the name of Jesus. That for those of you who are ready to be apostolic, to be sent forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, your greatest adversary is going to bow at your feet, asking for mercy, asking you, what do I need to do to be saved? There's some adversaries in your life that you're not even going to have to go and knock on their door and tell them that you need to come to church. There's some of them that are going to knock on your door and say, hey, I want to be saved. I know I've opposed you. I know I've talked about you. I know I've gossiped about your family. I know we haven't been friends. I know we've been enemies. But you have the truth. And I want to be saved. What do I need to do to be saved? The answer started with the vision of apostolic authority and opportunity that said we are still here. Hallelujah. We're not retreating from our resistance. We're not running from our opposition. We're not falling back from those who are fighting us. We are staying here. We are staying here. We are staying here. I want you to stand to your feet wherever you are. In your living room. I don't know where you might be watching this. But I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to lift up your hands. And I want you to cry unto God. With apostolic authority. I am still here I haven't been perfect I may not have prayed every day like I ought to I may have let some things go at some point but I haven't been defeated I haven't stopped believing I haven't backslidden I'm still here and by the authority of the word of God and by the power of the name of Jesus let the anointing of the Holy Ghost fall upon every one of you tonight We are still here in the name of Jesus Christ. As I log off of this live stream, I want you to gather with those around you. And I want you to pray. I want you to pray with apostolic authority. That from this night forward, we will go be a sheep in the midst of wolves. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.